A young man in rural Minnesota goes to a friend's house for an evening of fun and ends up becoming an unsolved mystery. What happened to Brandon Swanson is without explanation, but one thing is certain, it was his darkest nightmare. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Grandpappy. On this edition of Darkest Nightmare, I'm going to show you how quickly the mundane can become the surreal. One minute you're there, and the next, well, let's just begin our journey and find out where it takes us. Life was looking pretty good for Brandon Swanson. The 19-year-old student from Marshall, Minnesota had just finished his first year of classes at Minnesota West Community and Technical College where he was studying in the school's wind turbine program in the nearby town of Canby. Brandon lived with his parents and it was from their house that he left on the evening of May 13th 2008 to attend a party at a friend's house in the small town of Lind, which was only about 10 miles or 16 kilometers away. Brandon was celebrating putting his first year of school behind him. After attending the party in Lind, he later reportedly went to another party in the town of Canby, the same town in which he attended college. Just after midnight, in the early morning hours of May 14th, Brandon said he was ready to head back home and announced to his friends he was leaving. Eyewitnesses at the party stated that he did not appear intoxicated. He was said to have consumed some alcohol, but not to the point of excess, with one person stating that Brandon had only consumed a single shot of whiskey. He was just chilling and enjoying being young. As Brandon drove through rural Minnesota in those early morning hours, something happened which caused him to drive his Chevrolet Lumina into a roadside ditch. Fortunately, he was uninjured, and after checking out his car, he discovered that it was also seemingly undamaged. He tried to pull the car out of the ditch, but it was no use. He could not get any traction and was completely stuck. Feeling frustrated and irritated, Brandon placed a phone call to his friends, but no one answered his repeated calls. He then called his parents, Brian and Annette Swanson, he explained his predicament and asked if they could come out and pick him up. He was unsure of his exact location and said that he was stuck beside a gravel road he believed somewhere outside of Lind. 
He assured his parents he was not injured and told them he'd wait by his car for them to arrive. Brian and Annette Swanson stayed on the line with their son as they were driving to pick him up. They would later relate that Brandon seemed pretty sure of his general location, if not his exact location, and he didn't seem in any way disoriented or confused. Something to keep in mind here is that Brandon drove the road between his house and Canby almost daily to attend class. The trip was very familiar to him. When Brandon's parents got to the place to which they thought he directed them, they saw neither Brandon nor his Chevy Lumina. They were still on the phone with him at this time and Brandon's father began to flash the headlights of his car on and off repeatedly and told his son to do the same thing in the hope that they might be able to spot each other in the darkness. But sadly, neither could see the other's lights flashing. The increasing frustration of the situation caused tempers to flare, and an argument took place between Brandon and his parents. In his anger, Brandon hung up on his mother. Annette Swanson called her son back to apologize, and it was at this time that he told his parents that he thought he could see flashes of light off in the distance, which he believed were coming from the town of Lind. He said that he didn't think he was that far from Lind and that it would probably be easiest for everyone if he just walked to town and met them in the parking lot of a business both were familiar with there. Brian Swanson stayed on the phone with his son as he walked and stated that his son told him he was going to take a shortcut through some farmland to shave off some time in getting to their agreed-upon destination. At this time, Brian drove his wife home so she could go to bed as it was now past 2 a.m. He then headed back toward Lynn to meet his son. Once again, Brandon's father remained on the phone with his son as he was walking toward the lights he'd seen flashing and had assumed was the town of Lind. Brian drove toward the agreed-upon parking lot in the town of Lind, which Brandon had said that he was going to walk to. This call began at around 2.30 that morning, and it would be the last contact the father ever had with his son. As Brandon walked through the early morning darkness, he kept up the conversation with his dad. He said that he was walking along a fence line and that he could hear the sound of running water. He also restated that he could see lights in the distance towards which he was heading, thinking it was leading him towards Lind, where his father was waiting for him. At around 3.10 a.m., as Brandon was still speaking with his father as he walked, he suddenly interrupted himself mid-speech and shouted, Oh, shit! At which time he went silent. The call was still open, but Brandon didn't respond to any further messages from his father. He had disappeared into the Minnesota darkness. 
After being unable to get any response from Brandon, his father hung up and then tried repeatedly to get his son to answer his phone. But Brandon would never answer again. At this point, Brian began driving frantically around, searching the countryside around Lynn for his son. But he was unable to find anything. At 6.30 that morning, he alerted the Lyon County Sheriff's Office that his son was missing and they needed help finding him. The authorities were reluctant to search at first, stating that Brandon was legally an adult and it was not unusual for a young man of his age to stay out all night and not want his parents to know exactly what he was up to. One officer even said that Brandon had a right to disappear if that was what he wanted. Brian and Annette Swanson were insistent that their son had met some mishap or possibly even foul play and that he must be found. At around noon that day, May 14th of 2008, officers began an actual search for the missing teenager combing the area around Lind, where Brandon had stated as his location. The officers fanned out and covered the entire area, but were able to find neither Brandon nor his car in that vicinity. The search was eventually widened, and Brandon's car was eventually found in a rural area on the side of a field near the Lyon and Lincoln County lines about one and a half miles north of Highway 68. As this was an area of shared jurisdiction, the sheriff's office of that county also became involved in the investigation. It's important to note that Brandon drove Highway 68 daily on his drive between home and school. It's a road he was very familiar with. Why was Brandon driving the back roads home that night instead of on the roads he knew so well? Remember that Brandon's friend stated that he drank only lightly at the parties he attended and that he in no way appeared to be under the influence of any intoxicant. Deputies inspected Brandon's car and noted that it was high-centered on the top of an incline near the edge of the rural road, and that as such, the wheels wouldn't make contact with the ground, thereby stranding Brandon. The car was undamaged, and a search in and around the car produced no sign of the car keys. No alcohol or drugs were found in the vehicle. There was no evidence of injury or foul play. Looking for tracks, which Brandon might have left as he walked away from the car proved fruitless, as the grass and gravel in the area allowed for no imprinting of his feet. Officers requested the records from the cell service provider of Brandon's phone and found that his call had been routed through a tower near the town of Minneota, which was another small town along Highway 68. 
The call was determined to have originated within five miles or eight kilometers of the tower. So a search was established in that location. Since part of the search area included Yellow Medicine County to the north, authorities from that jurisdiction also joined in the investigation. There were now three different law enforcement agencies looking for Brandon. Sheriff Dahl of Lyon County noted that from the new search area, it was possible to see the blinking red light on top of the Taunton grain mill. He thought that it was possible that this was the light Brandon had reported to his father that he could see in the distance. A light which Brandon had mistakenly identified as the lights of the town of Lind. Ground searches were completed involving teams on horses, ATVs, and even the use of police canines. Aerial searches were also used, but nothing at all was found of the young man who had seemingly vanished from the face of the earth. A special team of bloodhounds was brought in from nearby South Dakota, and they were able to pick up a trail which they followed for three miles, 4.8 kilometers. The trail largely followed the field roads to the northwest, which eventually led to an abandoned farm. From there, the trail led alongside the Yellow Medicine River. Brandon had told his father as they were speaking in their last conversation that he was walking along fence lines and reported hearing nearby water. Working under the assumption that Brandon might have fallen into the river and drowned, boats from the State Department of Natural Resources were deployed along the river. In addition, gates were installed that could catch a body before it were to wash further downstream. The department stated that during the time of Brandon's disappearance, that some points of the river would have been around 10 feet deep, or roughly 3 meters, although the waters had since subsided. Deputies walked the riverbanks as the boats searched, but not a single clue to the missing teenager turned up. After the original searchers found absolutely no sign of Brandon Swanson, most further efforts were discontinued. Sheriff Vizeki of Yellow Medicine County continued to walk the riverbanks within that area for two miles or 3.2 kilometers every day for the next month, hoping for a clue to literally surface. But nothing ever came of it. Brandon's parents left their porch light on all night, every night, as a symbol of hope that their son would eventually return, or at least his whereabouts would be known, either dead or alive. They still do to this day. Searches resumed late that fall after fields planted shortly after Brandon's disappearance had been harvested. In total, 
122 square miles or 322 square kilometers have been searched with nothing to show for it. Brandon has never been found to this day. He was simply swallowed by the night. There are questions about this case which are troubling. What made Brandon choose to drive down back roads on that fateful early morning? He was said not to be impaired and had only to drive his normal route home down Highway 68 from the party location in Canby to his home in Marshall. What happened to cause his exclamation of surprise and distress when he suddenly yelled out, Oh shit! while talking to his father as he walked through the Minnesota countryside. Brandon's cell phone was working until the 16th of May as it would ring multiple times before it went to voicemail. If his phone was working, why hadn't he made any further contact after his surprised outburst to his father? the last time his voice was ever heard. His phone obviously remained charged for the two days after his disappearance as it was able to receive calls. When a cell phone is turned off or damaged, it will either go directly to voicemail or at most will ring one time before going to voicemail. An accident or mishap was immediately assumed by the law enforcement agencies in the initial searches. Authorities seemed convinced that Brandon had fallen into the Yellow Medicine River and drowned. But if he had, why had his phone still been working into the next days? Had his phone been in the river, it likely would have been ruined and unable to operate at all. Brandon's cell phone has never been recovered. And after two years of innumerable searches along that river, it's highly implausible that Brandon drowned because his body would almost certainly have surfaced by now. But this is not proven to be the case. There's another possibility that must be taken into account that Brandon met a human monster somewhere in that darkness. There are no known reasons why anyone would have wished Brandon harm, but there are people walking among us who murder for reasons normally related to sexual fantasy or deep-seated psychosis. Brandon's fate is unknown, but it can be speculated that he might have been taken against his will, causing the oh shit outburst as he was surprised and overwhelmed in those early morning hours. A murderer might have disposed of his body in such a way that it would never be found. This likelihood is remote, but must be considered. Another possibility could be the case of vehicular homicide 
if another individual were driving distracted or intoxicated and accidentally hit and killed Brandon. He was in a rural area on gravel roads where visibility is reduced with no street lights to illuminate the roads. It's possible such a driver would panic in fear of going to prison or being sued by the family of his victim. And he might dispose of the body to hide evidence of their involvement. At this time, the simple fact is that Brandon Swanson went from being a typical college kid to an unsolved missing person overnight. His fate remains a mystery to this day. I'd like to thank you for joining me on another episode of Darkest Nightmare. We want you to know that you're a valued guest and that we hope you've enjoyed this true story. If you like this type of content, the dark, the mysterious, the unknown, then please subscribe to the Darkest Nightmare podcast on whichever platform you choose to listen and tell your friends about us so they can enjoy our program as well. That's it for this episode. Our release schedule is on Mondays and Thursdays, twice a week. Please join us next time, and remember, you never know what circumstances might transport you into your own darkest nightmare. Darkest Nightmare is researched and written by Zane Rankin and hosted by yours truly, Grandpappy. The audio you just heard might contain copyrighted material. Such material is made available for educational purposes only. This constitutes a fair use of any such copyrighted material as provided for in the Title 17 U.S.C. Section 106A-117 of the U.S. Copyright Law.